And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back for another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host, Matt Watson. Very excited to be joined today by Chuck Rinker, the founder and CEO of Personas. He's got a really cool technology with digital personalities and AI and actually doing it way before the AI craze of today. So excited to to talk a lot more about that today. I do want to remind you today's episode is brought to you by Fullscale, which is my company. We have 300 employees building all kinds of software development for our customers, startups, scale-ups, front-end, back-end, mobile, all the different things. You can check us out at fullscale.io. Well, Chuck, welcome to the show, man. Uh, thanks for having me, man. It's going to be a fun conversation. So I think it's really cool. You're doing this stuff with digital personalities and, and, and AI and all this stuff. And this is kind of a timely conversation. So I was talking to our uh, head of recruiting and stuff at Full Scale yesterday, and we were talking about how do we interview people and, and do screening and all this stuff. And I was telling them, like, man, there's AI technology out there for like that does this like digital personality stuff like avatar or whatever that helps with interviewing like the technology has dramatically changed and i told him i'm like man we could probably have a poop emoji that's actually video interviewing people like i'm sure i think that's probably a thing like we could actually do that so it was very convenient to be on the podcast with you today to see if we can get that a poop emoji to use as our screen go Well, it's kind of, it, it's ironic you say that because that's not as far off as people think, you know, it's really, no. what, is, what does your brand represent? Not saying your brand represents poop, but you know what I'm saying? No. You can really create yeah. whatever personality you need to represent your yeah. brand. If you were to take your brand and turn that into a personified character, what would that brand be? And that's really the power we have at our fingertips today. It would be, it would be the geek emoji, I guess. Now you're talking but big it, pointy heads and all, yeah. But, you know. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't have any interest in living in this like metaverse where, you know, we show up to a meeting and yeah, my stupid coworkers, one of them might be a unicorn <laughs> and the other one might be a poop, like a poop AI or whatever. Like, I don't really want to live in that world. So I'm hoping that you're doing something way better and more useful with these AI personalities. So tell me, tell me about actually good use cases for this, because that is not one for me. Well, the ironically, it's, it's way different. Um, uh, Metaverse, we we started down there just because of the craze. And it really, it, it, once, once you, once the novelty wore off, the practicality really wasn't there. Oh yeah. And and I'll make it very quick. We're, we're really all about using AI technology in particular avatars. And we'll, we'll dig into that about uncanny Valley and why avatars to me into a good portion of the world, even supported through studies, why the avatar has so many benefits over even conversational AI. Okay. Um, so the point is we're all about human communication, not human replication. We're not trying to replace a human. We're not trying to create a proxy, like you said, a unicorn talking for a character. It's really about 
It's kind of like the old Star Trek show. If you remember the old Star Trek, when Scotty picks up his mouse and goes, hey, computer, I need you to talk to it. So it's really about breaking down the barriers of how we have access to technology. All these IoT technologies, conversational AI, chat GPT, speech to text, text to speech, speech synthesis, language translation, all these geeky things that exist in the cloud. But at the end of the day, when you and I talk, we're having a conversation. We've got gesture-based communication going on. Your eyelids weighs up. Your eyes get big. We smile at each other. We ask questions. And that's a, that's a human communication. That creates a trust, an empathy, an apathy, a, a communication bond between you and your audience. And that's why chatbots, people don't like them. That's why internet voice response systems, the first thing people do when they pick up an internet voice response system on the phone is pound on the zero key until a live person gets on there. Because we as humans have evolved over millions of years to talk and communicate as humans. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what personas is, is a personality engine, is how do I recreate a personality that basically turns all this wonderful AI and automation technology into a agent, a conversational agent that can act as a customer service rep or a first line of defense or first line of communication with your audience, whoever that is. So that's really what we are. We're a communications company, not really an AI company. And so at the, the end result of this is, I think you mentioned you're using this a lot in hospital settings. So it could mm -hmm. be like a an iPad or some kind of mobile app that has this kind of digital personality that you're talking to about your bill or different things? Or like what are, what are the common use cases that you're using this for? Yeah, ironically, the one-to-one -one personal engagement with Series and Alexis are pretty mature. And as an individual, we really focus on more public sector. How does it go when you have a, in the hospital, you asked about hospital use case specifically, you've got a series of frontline healthcare workers that right now in the UK and the US are massively overburdened. You got uh, healthcare professional, HCP burnout, people are leaving in drones, they're overburdened, they're underpaid, all that good stuff. How do you relieve that burden? So really, it's not about giving somebody an app, although we can run a mobile app. Matter of fact, I'm going to be a little unorthodox and show you a unit we're just shipped to the National Health Service. I'm in a demo suite right now. And that unit there, oh, it looks like they only have the screen up is a kiosk that basically sits at a physical location. We don't build the kiosk, we're a software company. And if you walked into a Home Depot or a hospital and you right. say, she'll say, hey, welcome to Princess Alexandria Hospital. How can I help you? Well, I just broke my arm. How do I get to the emergency room? My kid's in a surgery right now. I just want to get a cup of coffee. How much does it cost to do parking? Hey, I need to stay overnight because my kid was admitted. Is there a local hotel? So all those services that are now being asked of the surgeons, the nurses, sometimes right. front reception if the hospital is large enough to have a patient experience staff. And we're really just trying to act as that communication liaison. That unit, and I apologize, I'm going to probably fire it up earlier, uh, later so you can see it, can speak 150 languages. We have patents on sign language. So we're really about inclusivity, diversity. Wow. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care what gender you are. The brand to your point earlier about avatar and the the poop emoji or the unicorn we allow the customer to say what is your brand right so like for for princess alexandra hospital it's a black female probably 35 years old and uh probably relatable to what the demographic of the hospital that it's serving is okay. where we've been we've done trials where we're creating middle-aged white men 
for a clinical trial or 14-year-old Hispanic females? And how do they speak? What are the cultural diversity? What are the cultural differences between the different demographics of your okay. audience? So we're really building that communication platform that identifies with your audience. And that's kind of where I get back to this whole inclusivity, diversity, communication. We're really about creating that bond. One good example of a use case, and I didn't answer that question earlier, is what, what are some of the practical use cases? We've actually had pretty good success in the clinical trial world. Clinical trials in the U.S. at least are about 70% middle-aged white guys. I mean, I'm a middle-aged white guy, so I can say this. <laughs> that, that's not representative of the population of all the clinical trials that we need to um, um, go through and we need to recruit for and we need to complete to improve outcomes for all. So we create engagement platforms, like one we're doing right now is for opioid addicted young mothers. So we create Hispanic, black, white females that are between 15 and 30 years old. And the interviews, to your point about interviewing, are all conducted with these culturally appropriate avatars. And we find the response rate goes way up. You recruit more patients, you retain them longer, you got to get through the trial to have the outcomes data, and you create more of a trust. People provide more accurate information to an avatar than they do a live human. That's the power we're trying to bring to the, the, the enterprise world. Well, I think this is really cool technology, and I think there are definitely places where it could be super helpful. Like even it's it's in a mall, and you're like, I need somebody to tell me information about the mall. Like we don't need exactly. to necessarily pay somebody minimum wage to sit here all day long, not do one damn thing, and then tell somebody where the bathroom is, right? Like if we can use technology to do that, that sounds that sounds great. The, I mean, I've also seen stuff kind of like this in casinos. Aren't there stuff kind of like this in casinos now where there's like a virtual like dealer Dealers. and stuff? Yep. That's kind of similar technology, right? It, it's a similar, it's a very similar technology. Those are typically more tied to a back-end gaming engine. Um, yeah. We have a big gaming background, so that's very purpose-built. What we've done that's different than anybody, I believe, at least the first to do it back in 2013, we knew that the use cases for this technology were coming. We're ex-EA Sport game developers, the Madden NCAA franchise. CTO was one of my Madden developers. Probably half our company came from the gaming space. And we learned long ago that, that there's certain engagement techniques that gamers know. There's certain things you know. People always say, oh, you're getting my kid addicted to games. Well, what if we could get addic people addicted to their own health? What if we could get people addicted to your brand? What if we could get people addicted to doing the right thing? So what we've done is take that technology of, well, we can't be all things to all people. So we created a platform. So just like someone would pay a company at one of these chatbot companies to say, okay, I need to give customer support on a website. They would get a text chatbot. We designed a personality platform. So everything that makes a personality a personality, what makes Matt, Matt, how do you look? What knowledge base do you have upstairs? What mannerisms? How would you respond to certain questions? What is the um, languages you speak? Basically, what makes you Matt? And if that's the image you put out, we roll all that mm -hmm. into a platform. So then we partner with other technology companies. We got a visitor management company out of the Netherlands called G10. We got Mapden, who is a great partner that does wayfinding solutions. We do Locust Labs Lobby Guard, which is a check-in 
a visitor check-in system for large corporations, kind of these digital front door type applications, clinical trial management systems. So we build this UX layer that is a conversational engine, a human conversation engine, and put it on top of enterprise solutions. So that's what we do a little bit different. The healthcare solution that I, I was showing you, we're going to show you, is us building a system specifically on top of one of these healthcare enterprise solutions and then packaging it with our, we call it powered by personas with that personality engine to break down. Okay. Now you got to learn a new system. You got to download an app to your phone. You got to figure out how to register for it. You got to know how to log in and use it. People aren't going to do that in their day-to-day -day operations. Yeah. Please so that, don't ask me to download an app. I've had enough exactly. of that. Exactly. So that's why we're breaking down and making these basically virtual agents for the physical world. So I'm in the way that this works today, this must have, you must also use cameras and it has like visual uh, object recognition, stuff like that, right? To know that somebody walked up to you and it like looks at them, like it does all that kind of stuff too. Yeah, actually it does. And it really depends on the hardware. We're, we're pretty hardware agnostic. So it really depends on what the client needs, like the particular unit that we just deployed for the national health system there in Europe actually has a sonar sensor built into it. And the okay. reason we put a sonar into that unit is so when people come to the hospital, they don't even need to know even how to use a touchscreen, although it has touchscreen. ELO is a great partner of ours. The ELO is the biggest touchscreen manufacturer in the world. But in any sense, if you don't want to speak, we still don't want to take away what people are used to. So the point is, is even though it's a touch-enabled experience, the sonar, to your question, gives them a sense, our avatar, to know when someone's up, up approaching and wants some help. So when you walk up to the unit, it'll say, hey, welcome to Princess Alexandria Hospital. What can I help you find? How can I help you? Other times it's webcams for analytics, you know, so we can measure if people are angry or frustrated. If they mm -hmm. get too frustrated, our system can automatically go, oh, I'm sorry, I can see that I'm not getting you the information you need. Let me text a human. Let me, let me get someone over here to help you. And the systems are fully versed in knowing that they, they, they're not all things to all people. So instead of you pounding the zero button on your voice response system, she'll sense that you're frustrated and then she'll send a text message or an email for, for live help if needed. So we're not trying to replace humans. We're trying to yeah. remove the burden. That's the number one issue that people complain. They see it. It looks like a human, not, it looks like an animated human. And they, they, first thing out of their mouth is they watch too many Hollywood movies and they think we're trying to take people's jobs. No, we're trying to give them a faster, better computer that happens to have eyes and ears and that can talk to you like a human instead of having you learn another piece of software. So no. you started doing this over 10 years ago. I'm curious, how has this changed, you know, especially over the last two, three, four years of mm -hmm. all the newer AI technology stuff that's come out. So like when something like chat GPT and, and stuff comes out, have you guys, you know, taken advantage of that or you guys already had a platform that, that worked really well? How, how does that affect your no. business? Actually, it's been great. We're, we've been a partner. A matter of fact, we've been in the innovation lab at Microsoft for a long time. They're, they're probably our biggest innovation partner. So anytime a big company like Microsoft that has, you know, infinitesimally more resources than we have advances a certain technology, we're able to capitalize that because of that personality engine. So if you think about it as a cake, if the bottom layer is all this fancy technology, speech to text, RT, 
um, chat GPT, whatever, language translations, we build that layer, that personality layer. So then those applications we talk about sit on top of our personality engine. So as soon as we readopt an advancement in Microsoft or other third parties, Microsoft's not our only third party vendor or another vendor that improves what either what we've done or what they've done, the enterprise software is automatically going to get those benefits because it's abstracted through our platform layer. So we basically create that, that buffer. So how it's really affected, I guess the short answer is scalability, cost and scalability. When we first started doing this in 2013, you know, you might get a quarter million dollars wrapped up into one experience. We did one for Pepsi and the Seattle Mariners that ran for about a year at a Mariner stadium. And, you know, that was a big eight foot tall holographic moose sitting at the Pepsi booth at the stadium, greeting kids and taking selfies. And we got about 48,000 selfies in one season. So that was a pretty high profile, high dollar piece, but now we can deliver experiences for get them out the door in less than 30 days for a fraction of the cost. So those advancements you're talking about have made the experience better, response times faster, knowledge base improvements, basically a better experience, and it's all done at a cheaper cost and it's only going to get better and better. Uh, that's really cool, man. Well, the, the development of this stuff has to be really, really complicated. If you're listening and you need software developers, check us out at FullScale. We've got 300 employees doing all kinds of software development work, QA, project management, mobile, front end, back end, all these different things. You can check us out at FullScale.io. What what kind of challenges do you have with building this? Is is this? I mean, obviously you've been doing this for a long time, but I imagine this got to be pretty complex to build the software. Ironically, it's incredibly complex. But at the end of the day, you'll you'll understand this with being with your technical background. At the end of the day, we're bringing gaming characters out of a game engine and into the physical world. So everybody talks about augmented reality, doing it through visuals. We do it through experiential piece. So really the benefit that we tout, which doesn't resonate with everybody, but the people that understand and have been in the gaming space realize that the gaming industry typically stays about 10 to 15 years ahead of uh, enterprise corporate. Meaning okay. kids spend so much money. I shouldn't even just say kids, adults. Matter of fact, the, probably the late 20s, early 30s, expendable cash demographic is probably the biggest game sellers. They spend tons and tons of money and we've got to crank out supercomputer like graphics and a little console you can pick up at a Walmart for 300 bucks. When I was first doing AI, I was doing it for military simulations for the uh, U.S. government up in D.C., Spent my first 20 years up there. And, you know, we would just throw money at it, more hardware at it. So my point is, is that the technology advances and the complexities you talk about are absolutely there. However, when you look at what it takes to create a digital personality and a virtual human and artificial intelligence, how do you think Mario has been running around Mario World for the last 20 years? That's AI. People don't see it. That is AI. Matter of fact, the old Pac-Man game. Pong was AI. You know, how do you do a Pong game with tennis, uh, virtual pixel tennis balls? How do you do a Pac-Man game? That is artificial intelligence at its core. This has been around for 20, 30, 40 years. And people think AI is new. No, it's just gotten better and better and better. And now it's at a point where it's starting to become very close to human communication. We've known this for 30 years. So the complexities that you refer to, yes, it's absolutely hard. And yes, you need specialized developers for that. You need 3D animators, you need 3D rendering, you need real-time text people, you need um, 
speech experts, you need audio experts, you need hardcore backend AI, you need cloud technologists, you need IT infrastructure specialists, you need a behavioral scientist, you need data analysts, you need all these complex pieces. Okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. What you're saying is the shit's complicated. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much, and th that's Sounds why complicated. We, and that's why we believe in the power of that personas platform. We've done all that and put it into an API SDK. So if you have an enterprise solution and you say, "Hey, this is the future," but how do I invest? How do I hire? Match three hundred people offshore to yeah. build a custom solution. That's a tough sell. That's a tough sell. But if well, I could say, "Hey, hire five of Matt's guys." take our API and then build your enterprise solution yeah. with them as an integrator. That's, that's, that's what we're trying to do to scale. We're just trying to scale human AI. Well, there's so many good use cases for this kind of stuff. And actually I really think hiring and recruiting is, is one of those because at full scale, there's been months before we've had a thousand people apply for a job. Oh, wow. Yep. You can't interview a thousand people. No. It's not possible. Can we use AI and a digital personality to help do some screening and, and stuff? Like, yeah, that sounds awesome. They don't need to look like a, a poop emoji. We'll figure out something better. But <laughs> we, you know, like, it's just not possible to have enough humans to, to, to do some of this stuff. So today we use basically a goofy, like, screening test and whatever. But people don't want to take these screening tests. I was talking to my team about this. I'm like, if you recruited me today to be the... CTO of some company or whatever, and you, the first thing you want me to do is take some stupid coding test. I'd tell you to pound sand. Exactly. Like, there's no way I'm doing this. No, so, you're spot on. Yeah, I like. But now, if, if it was a human or some, you know, maybe really cool digital personality, basically asking me the same questions, I would probably begrudgingly answer the questions, right? So, I, I think it makes total sense. I think there's got to be a lot of use cases for this kind of technology. And and so, do you have partners that? that are using your technology in like recruiting and like different kinds of things or um, in recruiting. Yes, but not in the same capacity you think, but you're, you're spot on with the use case. Our biggest problem is this thing has too many uses, you know, it's yeah. kind of like saying, how can you use chat GPT? Well, yeah, that's kind of a bogus question. You know, yeah, you can use it for about anything, um, but we do use it for patient recruitment in the healthcare. So when you're trying to reach a certain target demographic and I want to know, okay, do you have type two diabetes? Have you had any cancer in the last five years? Are you on any prescription med? What's your weight? What's your age? What is your uh, socioeconomic background? All those questions you have to do to qualify for a clinical trial instead of taking up the healthcare professional's time. And it's not meant to replace them. Like I said, it's meant to, to you, you brought up a great word I didn't use, screening. It's meant to help take yeah. that mundane, repetitive uh, workload off of the employees so that yeah. you and your team, Matt, can focus in on, okay, now I've taken these thousand applicants and now I've got 10 well, qualified applicants that we're going to vet further doing only what humans can do. That's so what we're trying to do. Yeah. Another good example of this that's you know similar but slightly different is the I, I live in Kansas City and right <laughs> down the street from me, I don't know why, but we seem to have one of the like pilot stores for McDonald's. Okay. And I think we were one of the first stores in the country to test their uh, drive-through ordering, which was all handled through AI. And the first times I used it, it was kind of clunky. But when I use it today, it does a way better job than any human I've ever seen at taking an order. Like, yep. I don't know how many times I go to a place and I order something and they spend like five minutes fumbling around on the computer, right? Yep. Like, 
you know, these things can eventually do the job actually better than humans can. And from a, you know, customer perspective, I'm actually happier. Like it actually just works and I'm on my way instead of trying to get a human to actually wants to work and show up to work and begrudgingly doesn't really (laughs) want to do their job to half halfway do their job. Right. Well, you keyed, you keyed in on something that not many people key in on. And that's the fact that AI is not a silver bullet. Artificial intelligence is, think of it as an empty brain. And you've got to fill it with the knowledge to do the job you're asking. Just like you have to train an employee, you have to train that artificial intelligence. So we go into what we call a continuous improvement mode, continuous improvement program. We're learning, we're listening to your customers. That's something very few people do. And that AI, not only to your point about McDonald's, if you walk up and and it gets it wrong, that information is now in that system. Right. And they're training Yep. And they're training data analysts are going, wait, why did this, why was this order not successful? Oh, because Matt called it, you know, cheddar instead of cheese or something like that. Because Matt has five kids and his <laughs> order is complicated and exactly. his wife keeps changing her mind. That's the problem. <laughs> yep. Yep. But you key down on a good, good portion about AI has to be trained. AI has to be maintained and AI has to be fed data. It needs yeah. that data to be trained. Yeah. And different languages, right? I mean, how, how we would say something in English is totally different if somebody else comes to the McDonald's drive through and wants to speak in Spanish or French or German or whatever. Yep. Like, but And it's just totally cool that all this stuff is possible. And, and I realize at the end of the day, for some of these people, it does eliminate some jobs, right? Whoever was taking orders at McDonald's. But hopefully those people can do something that requires like more intelligence and a better job and a more meaningful future than taking an order at McDonald's too. So I know I talk a lot, but I'm going to grab that moment because there was a key keynote speech I gave for Rico USA and Infocom way back in 2019 pre-pandemic. And it was specifically on that fear, that unfounded fear, as I'll call it. And the title of my presentation was called Being Human. And it was, what does it really mean to be human? And the number one thing that came out of this conversation about what humans are is this misconception that we're taking people's jobs. And and you say we're going to replace. Yes, we might decrease staff requirements. But, you know, to be honest, when you move from a manual typewriter to a word processor, we removed a lot of secretarial jobs as well, typist jobs. To your point, though, the data, the, the takeaway from that discussion on what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be from a productivity standpoint is it's really all about improving productivity, not replacing humans. Yeah. And what we found is that only 30% of an employee's time can actually be automated on average, only 30%. It's still in, in all the complexities of chat GPT and AI, you still can't replace humans, but you can give them 30% of their workday back to be better at what they do to provide services to your customers that only humans can, can, can uh, uh, do. And at the end of the day, what you found, if you took a pool of uh, a mass population of technology workers in the US and they ran them through these statistics based on, okay, what if we replace this many people what you found is your average pay, your average workload was always increased. I mean, people made more money. They had higher job satisfaction because they were doing high value work versus white. You just asked me about, you, you mentioned it earlier. You just asked me, you know, where can I find the restroom again? Or where can I find the toilets? Or where can I get a cup of coffee? So people were happy in their jobs and they made more money because they were doing stuff that was high value engagement that humans are good at. So 
I just wanted to stress that because that's the number one, I'll repeat that over and over, number one thing that people believe that is absolutely false is that human AI companies are out there to take jobs. Well, and I, I think that's true when it comes to software development as well. So from my experience so far in all things software development, software engineering related, AI is really helpful. GitHub Copilot, ChatGPT, all these things, it's very helpful. But there's no way, from my perspective, I don't think it replaces more than 30% of your job, just like you said. I don't even know if it's that much. I feel like it saves you 15 minutes twice a day. Like, I could have tediously (laughs) figured this thing out. Instead, instead of finding it on Stack Overflow... I you know, went and I asked ChatGPT, like, okay, write some code that loops through this thing and does this thing and whatever, and I copy and paste it. And then I still got to make more changes to it because of course. Chat, ChatGPT doesn't give me exactly what I wanted anyways. I actually was trying to use ChatGPT the other day, and I give it very clear directions, but it would, it would only do like 80% of the work. And I was trying to get it to put in like the names of all the database columns and all this. And I mm-hmm. actually told it what the columns were, but it wasn't doing it. So it's like I had to keep asking it more questions you know, instead of me just doing the work. And and one of the things I always talk about is humans are lazy, right? Like we could have a shovel in our hand and it's like, it would take us five minutes to dig this, this hole, but we'd rather spend the entire day trying to find a backhoe. Yeah. Instead of doing the five minutes worth of work. Right. And sometimes I feel like AI is the same way. It's like, I could have just wrote that code in five minutes, but instead I spent 20 minutes trying to get chat GPT to do it because, well, I thought it was cool. And I thought chat GPT yeah. would actually take less than five minutes. But it actually took more time. Like, I think there's a lot of that, too. Like, we're looking for tools. We're looking for the magic easy button. But if we would just do the work, it would actually yeah. take less time. Well, well, you bring up a good point there. And it's a great example about the uh, the coding because it's the um, – I call AI a catalyst. It gets you to a certain point faster. But, like, you, what do they always talk that little graph yeah. right over? So where's your, where's your break-even point? You know, where's your point of uh, diminishing returns? But if you use, if you use AI for that – proper use. Hey, give me the construct. I don't want to look through the manual. Give me the construct of my conditional statement I'm trying to pull together or what have you. I haven't programmed in decades, but um, um, that's just not true. But let's say not like I used to. But let's say you're using ChatGPT for that. To your point, if you'd have gotten that original construct set up or the original logic structure set up and then plugged in using your human intelligence, you might have maybe not passing judgment, but you might've got to the end solution quicker. But if you equate that to what we're trying to do with, there's the character now that it's up and running, what we're trying to do with Alex there at the national um, uh, NHS, national health system is she's not meant there to be all things to all people. She's not going to do your appendectomy for you. She's there to get you to your appointments faster and let the doctor do what he does without waiting around for 15 minutes for you to show up late for your appointment. She's there to help you find a cup of coffee so you're not stopping the nurse that's on her way to triage and asking the nurse how to how to, where's the coffee shop or where can where can she, she use the restroom you know that that's that's the reality so so your good analogy and, on the technology front and preaching to the choir yeah I think on the software development side it can be very helpful for sure there, there it can but my point is sometimes I feel like we're we use AI as like this crutch. And we actually spend more time like jacking with it. But the, the the thing that AI does do is it it lowers the the kind of experience level it takes to do some things. Like especially in software development, uh, I could go ask it like, okay, how do I create a pivot table in SQL Server or whatever? And it would like create the code. But the you know maybe you'd have to have a lot more experience before you would know like the syntax of all that and whatever. And it, so it it saves you time. But 
part, but the issue with a lot of that with AI is like, you wouldn't even know to ask it to make a pivot table. Like you wouldn't sure. even know that was a thing. <laughs> like that's, that's part of the problem that people don't realize is you still need experience to even know like what to ask it, like to know to ask AI yep. that, that this is actually a useful, a useful thing. So I, well, I think. Yeah. I, I no, you're, you're is, just, you're proving, you're proving the stance that it's not a replacement, a human replacement. It's a productivity tool. That yeah, absolutely. For my case as a human. Yeah. So I know you've uh, a couple times you've talked about your uh, your your physical device there in your room and showed it. And that's mm -hmm. really cool. And if you're listening, by the way, you can actually see this on YouTube. So we have a YouTube channel now, and you can go check out uh, the Startup Puzzle podcast on YouTube. Awesome. And you can see that uh, digital avatar I'm talking about it looks pretty cool. So you mentioned before we were recording that you started out as a farmer. You've <laughs> yeah. done some really high tech stuff and and you know, built video games, all this stuff, you're building digital personalities, but somehow wound up back at the farm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give that. And you're you're going to get into one of these tearjerker movements because my, my dad's um, getting up there in age. And growing up on the farm as a cattle farmer, it taught you, I think, one thing. Basically, the world doesn't know you anything and that you have a work ethic. What you got to have, what you want, you got to work for it. So as I went through and I... um farmed until I was about 18. I showed a certain technology aptitude and bought an old, we call them trash 80s, the old Radio Shack computers for those older listeners on there. That was, you know, a black and white TV that had a cassette tape to load and store your programs on. And he went to a cohort, a, 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 um, one of his clients actually, um, and said, you know, my son's shown a technology aptitude. He said, half seriously, but half jokingly, he's too smart to be a farmer. Now, I don't want to offend farmers out there. I have a whole farming family. But he said that, and um, it really set me on a path for getting in with Navy Credit Union, did a lot of early financial systems, and kind of set that pace on the technology world. Now, the reason I go back to it is because there's a certain solitude and there's a certain satisfaction you get from working with your hands and creating something physical and seeing physical product of your labors. And so, yeah, after uh, decades of being in the virtual space and writing software for a career, I have admittedly bought my little tractor and bought a little 30 acre plot there north of uh, uh, Raleigh. And I tend to, uh, you know, cut down trees and saw them up for lumber and have fun out on the farm and have cattle out in the field. So it's, there's, there's a satisfaction and a tranquility about going back to that life. Well, I have to be honest, I, you know, I've been a software developer, entrepreneur, I spent all day on a computer for the last 25 years of my life. But there's all there's honestly something therapeutic for me about working with my hands. Like, Absolutely. I don't know why, like doing house projects and like painting or different things. It's almost like very therapeutic to me. Do you, do you feel it has that same effect for you? Absolutely. You're, you're, you're spot on. You just said it a lot more succinctly than I did. <laughs> yeah. Therapeutic's a good word. Yeah, I enjoy it. And I think everybody has different things in their life that, that are kind of that way. I think golf has a little bit of that same, yeah. same thing. Although golf yeah. is highly frustrating and obnoxious, but there's something therapeutic about just like going golfing, being on the course for five hours and kind of feeling <laughs> like you're disconnected from the world. Like there's something about that that's therapeutic, yeah. even though like spending five hours trying to find a ball is not fun, but there's something therapeutic about it. And I think we need those things in our life. Yeah, you're playing golf all wrong, Matt. You can need to play golf like I do. I'm a, I'm a probably a 20 plus handicapper, and I've been that way for 30 years. But I don't care. I'm not there for the score. <laughs> no, no, okay. no. You're just keeping. No, no. I, I got a better tip. I, fi I figured out the tip. 
All right. You just you change how you keep score. So I just keep score. I just keep score based on how many go- how many balls I lost. Okay. And 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 if I find somebody else's ball, that's in my that works a, in my advantage. That's a net if zero I, outcome, right? Yeah, yeah. A sum zero sum outcome. So <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm I'm under. I have a negative score. I found other people's <laughs> balls. So that, that's how I play golf. <laughs> Actually, I'm gonna have to try that one next time I'm on the course. How many balls do I lose? That's 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 how I keep score. That's a good that's a good gauge of success. <laughs> Well, I think it's been awesome having you on the show today, and and I think this is is a really cool business that you have, and sounds like you've you've been very successful at it for a long period of time, and it's incredible you've been doing this. You, you know, you've had this company for over twenty years, but you've been doing you know this this specific you know product for ten years in AI, and it's very cool, and it's it's cool to see how all the different use cases you could have for it. You know, one of the questions I definitely want to ask you is. And this is a big problem for a lot of entrepreneurs is, is how do you stay focused, right? If you've got a lot of clients like Microsoft comes to you and says, I want you to do this thing. And the Seattle Mariners want you to do this thing. And the health health system in Europe wants you to do this thing. Like, how, how do you deal with that part of it and the priority of that and, and telling people no? Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I'm pretty bad at telling people no. But at the end of the day, I'll, I'll self-confess that I'm a little bit of a micromanager. And so I basically put, you know, first party customers up top. And to be honest, if I probably was a little more open to that scalability, um, we might be a larger company. But um, my rebuttal to that is that uh, I think there's very, very, very rarely a day I wake up. You got to remember, I would I would write video games and do creative production and creative development for fun if I didn't even have a job. So the fact that I get to wake up and do something fun, creative, take everything I've learned in 30 years of simulation and gaming and do something good with it. Not only does it pay the bills, but we can also help patients. We can help people. We can try to play into this um, culture of diversity and inclusion. We have a couple of uh, deaf consultants I've become very fond of from the deaf community and to, to, to hear their stories firsthand and see how they're basically treated as if they have a disability and it's a really kind of a sad situation that so many people are left out because of their physical capabilities and, 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 and decisions that they make about their, um, you know, their culture and their um, diversity. And it's, it's just kind of sad. So to be honest, to be able to break up and take these game things that I've had fun with for 30 years and still have fun with them, but do something, we call it persona, personas with a purpose to do something that's got a little bit better purpose is pretty motivational. And it, it keeps me from uh, thinking of this as, as a work and as a job and just kind of find those customers that, that want to do the right thing and want to innovate in that sector. And um, you'll find another sad statement is very few companies, especially the large companies are so set in their status quo breaking out of the this is how we know this is how we've always done business so this is the way we're going to do business really i don't have people coming out of the woodworks knocking on my door going hey we want to be better we want to do things differently we want to innovate we want to be more inclusive we want to expand we want to we want to improve productivity we want to decrease our staff burden we want to increase our staff revenues all those positivities that come out of the advancements we're seeing 90% 90% of them go, ooh, you're just trying to take my job again. And they, they just think of it in such a, pardon the French, but in uh, a bass-ackwards sense, it's, uh, it's 
it's a little, it's not frustrating. It's a little sad <laughs> that more people yeah. aren't really embracing this. Um, they're just scared of it. Well, that's awesome. And uh, once again, this was Chuck Rinker with founder and CEO of Personas, and that's P-R-S-O-N-A-S.com. Uh, there'll be a link in our show notes and everything. You can you can check out his company. Definitely check out this episode on YouTube if you want to see uh, the quick glimpse of his uh, his, his physical uh, device he had there. That was pretty cool earlier. But uh, Chuck, thank you so much for being on the show today. This, this was a very cool topic, and I really enjoyed it. Absolutely, Matt. I told you it'd be a fun one. All right. Thank you, sir. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>